0: Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. Thank you for being here. As we continue in our series, Jericho Walls, we're talking about courageous. Faith, And I hope we're finding during this series already that courage comes when we're afraid. And so if you're feeling afraid and you go, I'm not courageous, actually, that's the best time to leverage the courage that comes from God. We've been knocking over walls, and that's why we call it Jericho Walls, because we plan to hike all the way up to the city of Jericho And watch those walls come tumbling down. And some of the previous walls that we tried to knock through is one, the wall of fear and anxiety. We were knocking through it with our triple combo, the triple P, prayer, petition, and praise. Oh, how praise and gratitude crushes anxiety. And the second wall was generational sins. And we talked about that chair that just keeps spinning through like an heirloom in our families and how we wanna stop that repetitive sin. And one of the goals is to get into the triple threat and not be taken away by those who walk in sin, stand with sinners or sit in the scene of scornful. And this week we're gonna attack a different wall. But I was really encouraged throughout this past week to hear of people having conversations in cars. On the way home, talking about the sermons, in our small groups, we have so many small groups now running throughout the week and we praise God for them. And we've been talking about some of these questions because these are walls that are not hypothetical. We are living out many of these walls. And sometimes it takes desperate measures to see real change occur in our lives. You know, I remember hearing this message from um, someone who was just sharing their heartbeat of something that was occurring in their family. And they shared this story and it always resonated with me. And I think part of what resonated with me is would I go to desperate measures to show someone I love them the way this person did? He shared uh, very vulnerably that he and his wife were really growing discouraged with their daughter's friend choices as she was getting into high school. And it went from discouragement to fear as she began to not only associate with those who didn't walk in the things of the Lord, but began to think and talk and act like those as well. It had seemed as if they were rubbing off on her far more than she was rubbing off on them. And what happened is over time, she was now becoming one of the same one in the same of those who she was with. And they were hearing things like, whatever, mom, and oh, grow up, or leave me alone. Doors were slamming, lies were occurring, deceit was building. And it was coming from within their house. They were getting reports back at the school. He said, our daughter was literally falling apart in front of our eyes. And and parents of older teenagers know you don't have nearly the control you think you have, especially when they're little. And there are so many influences in their lives. And their daughter was being carried away and now she was carrying away others. What are they gonna do? They had talked about different options, about what we could do, maybe we could do this, maybe we do this, but she had even begun to label herself in the family as the family disappointment. I'm sorry, I'm not like my brothers, my perfect brothers. Her relationship with her mother was falling apart to the point where she was talking to her mom in such disrespectful tones that it was beginning to impact their entire family dynamic. The father at work one day was, he got another report from this, or this happened, or she was with this guy, and he was just going at wits' end. Where, where did my little girl go? Even though she's still living in the house. And he came home and he told his wife, he said, Tomorrow, I um I'm going on a road trip with her. She goes, What? He goes, I'm going on a road trip. She goes, you have work tomorrow. He goes, I'm not going into work tomorrow. Um, She has, uh, for school, she has that on Friday. She's not gonna go to that. What are you gonna do? He goes, we're gonna get in the car and we're gonna go. And he said, his wife, with tears in her eyes, understood what he was saying. And he said, and I'm not coming home until I have my daughter back. And so he went to her room, boom, boom, boom. What? Hey, pack your bags tomorrow morning. Your dad and you were going on a trip. See, see she had kind of destroyed her relationship with her mom, but she still was kind of talking to dad a little bit. I don't want to go anywhere. I know, um, pack your bags, we're gonna go together. Where? Hey, we'll find out. Just in the morning, have your bag packed. I'm not doing it, and he just left. That morning he woke up and that girl had a backpack packed. She got in the car and didn't say a word to him. And he started and started going. He said, it was like 45 minutes in the trip till he finally got, where are we even going? I don't know. He said, I just drove west. I figured we wouldn't hit an ocean for a while. kept driving and driving and driving. What are we even doing? Are we even stopping? We'll stop. Where do you want to stop? What do you mean? Did you even come up with a plan? Does mom know we're gone? Mom knows we're gone. When are we going to come back? I don't know, but I'm not coming home until I got my daughter back. What is that supposed to mean? You know what it means and they drove and they drove because sometimes, sometimes when you really love someone, you risk your job, you risk what other people will say if you're gone so long, you'll risk Hey, she has classed your you'll risk. And I'm not saying any of those things are right things to do. I'm just saying, when you love someone, sometimes you take desperate measures. But that girl, he said, was gonna know that dad is not leaving this car. And so he got her far enough away that she couldn't at least run home. And they drove, and they drove, and they drove You know, I don't know what's going on in our neighborhoods, but I can promise you this as a pastor, there's a lot of families with a lot of struggle going on that they're not sharing, but oh, they're wearing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And mama, more than anybody. Because mom, sometimes her happiness is dictated by the state of where her children are at. But sometimes you know that you got people in your life in very difficult situations. But sometimes in our neighborhoods, there's people who have to take desperate measures because it feels like they've been born, can we just say it, with like a really bad lot in life. Because of sin in this earth, people deal with things that are just awful. Within our known neighborhoods, you can guarantee within some walls there's incest. You can guarantee within some walls, there's tremendous verbal abuse. And those children growing up, they didn't ask for it. They were born into it. They might have been born into struggle. They might have been born into a house where there's addiction and betrayal. They didn't sign up for it. They were born into it. It might make you grateful if you don't have that in your home, but does it at all bring some compassion to you that you might be driving by some homes that inside it, there have been walls built, not that they need to knock over, not even that they've built to protect themselves, but it's almost like there's walls that they're stuck inside of. It's as if they're inside the wall and they feel, let's use words like trapped, stuck, hopeless, terrified, and they're calling out sometimes to God going, God, do you see me? They didn't ask for this. Some of them didn't even necessarily think it would happen to them. But here they are. Anybody feel trapped today? Anybody at home? Because if the church would know what you've done in your past, they would never want you inside these walls. Anybody feel judged? Anybody feel like your reputation has been built up so much that you're such the mean girl at school, if you were nice, people would be like, what's your problem? Maybe you're such the monster at work that if you changed your ways, people are like, something wrong with you? Anybody here feel labeled, branded, stuck? Circumstances have blocked you in? And you say, Chris, you don't understand. I'd love to get out, but I can't. You see, the wall we're talking about today is not a wall that we plan to knock over and not a wall that we've built up. It's a wall that we're stuck in. We're gonna call it the wall of bondage. And we're gonna meet someone in scripture today that was living inside this wall of bondage, if you will. She's, she is trapped, if you will, in a horrible home situation, in a horrible reputation that she has on her, and in a horrible future if things stay just like this. She's trapped in this wall of bondage. And let me tell you, this is one of the most epic stories of all of Scripture. Very few people who have been at church or have read the Bible or whatever have not been to Joshua chapter 2 and gone through this story. But if you haven't reviewed it recently, I pray it's an absolute joy for you, especially for those who might feel like you've been given a lot in life and it's not even all you're doing and it's gonna define the rest of your life. I think there's a woman who would raise her hand and say, I got good, good news. I get a mentor in my life. I love this man. He, he speaks so much um, faith into my life. But he's got a quote, and I can't really meet with him ever without him saying it. And in fact, a smile comes across his face every time he says it, because we'll be talking about what God has done, and this line will come out. Here, here's the line, ready? Ready? There are no coincidences with God. Chris, Chris, there are no coincidences with God. We serve a sovereign God. That's a theological term that means God's in control and nothing happens when God's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. And things aren't woven together. You're like, isn't that cool? How I like met my wife right there. And God's like, wow, I didn't know how you guys intersected like that. It's amazing. Peter, come here. Look at this. God He's involved in everything. It's called his providential hand maneuvering and weaving together the things for the good to those who love him. There are no, Christian, if you're here today, there's no coincidences with God. here's, Here's what's cool about that. It is not a coincidence that you tuned in this morning, or you're sitting in this room. God knew exactly who was gonna be here, and God knew exactly who was gonna be listening, and this might be specifically for someone in this room or someone you know or someone who tuned in today or in the future, but remember this and let it serve as an umbrella over this story. There are no coincidences when it comes to the things of God if you're left out, if you're hurting, if you feel judged, if you're the disappointment, if you're whatever you think this world wants to define you, there's no coincidence you're listening today. Heavenly Father, use this text and this woman's story to redefine how we think about people and maybe even to redefine how we think about ourselves. May we see you in this story. May we see this awesome God Who loves not only his kids, the people of Israel, but even this Canaanite woman and how you went for her. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There were 12 spies who went into the land in Numbers 13 and 14. Ten came back saying, We best not go. Two said, Let's do it. And we learn something about this conquest into the promised land. It's going to take faith. And there's many people who think if I make my stake and my claim in Jesus, if I have faith in him, my life's going to go great. Faith, faith, oh, it makes things possible, but it does not necessarily make things easy. If you're going to work your way through a wall that has been constructed, it's not going to be overnight and it's not going to be easy. But if you have the faith that God wants to do it, oh, it's possible. But the people who, by the way, folks, crowds in scripture are always wrong. And the crowd went with the 10 and they didn't go into the promised land. And they wandered for 40 years because of it. And when we open the book of Joshua, Moses has died, and God is calling Joshua to lead them. But Joshua is in a very different place than when he was that one of the two spies who said, let's go. He's feeling a little weak, and he's feeling a little afraid. How do we know that? Because God's telling him, hey, Joshua, be strong and courageous, for I am with you wherever you go. And we learn something about courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. You can be a courageous person and have fear. Courage is not the absence of fear, but choosing to obey despite the fear. For we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And we move forward in that courage. And it's 40 years later, after the crowd listened to the 10 spies and Joshua is standing by the Jordan and God says, cross it be strong and courageous, go tell the people. He sends the soldiers into the camp, we're leaving. In three days, we're crossing over this Jordan. Is this generation gonna repeat the sins of the previous generation? Doesn't seem like it. They say we're going, Joshua, just be strong and courageous. And that's where we pick up our text in Joshua 2. Joshua scripture says during this three days before the people are about to cross they're preparing they're planning to see a victory and they're packing their bags and Joshua the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying go view the land especially Jericho Now note that Joshua, he's learned something, hasn't he? He's sending only two. We're not sending 12. I don't need some naysayers to come back. I want you to go view the land. He doesn't say, um, see if they're in fortified cities or in not fortified cities. See if there's trees or no trees. He's not asking for a lay of land. He goes, I just wanna take some strategy here. I want you to go into the land. And Joshua was one of the people who went into the land and he said, stop by Jericho. What about Jericho? See, Jericho is this massive walled city and it's kind of the head of the snake, if you will, of the Canaanites, these wicked, wicked people. And inside that Jericho wall serves as that that leader. If you can take out Jericho, the rest of the land is gonna hear that Jericho went down. Joshua said, I want you to stop, especially at Jericho. Let, Let me remind you about Jericho a little bit. There was two walls, okay, when it comes to the walls of Jericho. One was the inner wall. It was about 26 feet high and about six feet in depth, so you could walk alongside it. To give you a little perspective, the peak of our building here, I know if you're watching online, you can't feel this, but the peak here is 32 feet. So about 26 feet is close to the peak of where that wall is. Now, on top of that inner wall was the outer wall, which was also 26 feet high, and that stood on top of a foundational wall that was around 12 to 15 feet. And if you're in our auditorium today, we can have a block wall. You see the block wall around the auditorium? That's around 12 some feet high. So that's the retaining wall, and then 26 feet on top of that, and then 26 feet on top of that. In other words, you're not coming in. You're not coming in. Nobody's got tanks, you're foot soldiers. You're not coming in. This is a fortified city. And unlike the 21st century, where we're all spending extra on exterior rooms so we can see the beach, at that time period, you wanted to be inside the walls because it worked like a class system. The more wealth, the more inside and safe you were. The people living on the outer walls or right outside the inner wall had less. And they lived out there because guess why? They die first if attacked. And so on top of that, there were homes that were built into the wall these were interesting. Some of them were inns that people would stay. And what was interesting about these homes in the wall is sometimes the activities that would occur in there weren't always necessarily that righteous, including prostitution and things like that for foreign travelers when they would come to visit Jericho in those exterior walls. And Joshua sends two men secretly, I wonder if secretly who from, to people of Jericho or the people of Israel? I think there's some, some, some language in this text that seems to think Joshua didn't want all the Israelites to know he was sending to in. Hey guys, I want you to go, and I want you to check out Jericho. And so they went, and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Hello, what? I need two of my most godly, faithful spies. Go into Jericho. And then scripture says they went. To the house of a prostitute. Sweetheart, get the kids, get in the van. This is not G-rated. The Bible doesn't, notice the Bible doesn't run things by you as whether you're okay with it. It's one of the most authenticating aspects of Scripture that it shares the ugly. If you're trying to sell people on something that's not true, you don't share the ugly. The Bible shares the ugly. And what do I mean by ugly? The things that maybe the world would say are too disgusting, and definitely the things that those who consider them righteous and pure find abhorrent. Bible just shares it. They went in and they saw her, and, and some have said, well, it was an inn, so possibly that, but if you study some of the historical context of this, even scholars who research the time periods of that seem to indicate that beds were sold at times with a woman that came with it during that time period. And i like to think the men that went there went there for an alternative reason. And judging from their activity, I believe that is the case. But make no mistake, guys. Scripture says Rahab, in the eyes of Jericho, make no mistake, was a prostitute. And she was in an in area that was inside or on the outer wall. And you know what? The king of Jericho found out. Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight. I gotta read this story to you, it's so good. Have you read this recently? I mean, this is one of the more captivating things in scripture. We've got a prostitute who is, a, make no mistake, a slave to men, a slave to her career, a slave to her reputation. This woman is living in complete bondage to what has happened to her, but but this girl is Woo! she's pretty smart. And watch what happens here, be blown away by it. It's verse two, I'm gonna read a lot of it because there's a lot of a narrative here. And, and it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, bring out the men who have come to you. Seems like this was the spot. Who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. What? And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out, and I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof, and she hid them in the stalks of flax. Picture like long straw, okay, tied together. Stalks of flax she had, and she, that she had laid in order on her roof. It seems like she's got these stalks of flax laying in order on her roof, and she hid them underneath that. And so the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Rahab, what are you doing? What's going on here? You know, you know. Um, I wanna tell you a little secret I found out about, about women. Guys, don't listen in. I'm just gonna to talk to the girls here for a second. Sometimes, ladies, you scheme up these kind of plans and you make us guys think we're the ones actually making the decision but you've already drawn all this up and you know what we'll respond to and you know what we'll like. And so you say things like, hey, wouldn't it be great if we did that? And you know, we're going to be like, yeah. How about you do that? Yeah, I'm going to do that. Good for you. And we do it and we realize halfway into the occasion that you have orchestrated this. Rahab is doing this. She's got two spies from Israel, this is the mighty Israelite army, upstairs under the flax. The guys come in, where are they? And she says, pursue them quickly. They're headed out the gate. Now the gate closes at nighttime. Does Rahab know that? Oh, it seems so, because she has them pursuing them as far as the forts. You say, why didn't they go in and search the room? Because Rahab's, they go out the gate, the gate's closed. Come on, we gotta go. And out come the mighty soldiers of Jericho. She's got two Israelite spies hiding upside, and she's got these Jericho guys going, Let's find them, come get them. She's in complete control of this situation. It's as if she's drummed this thing up. It's as if she saw these Israelite spies and she saw some opportunity. But make no mistake, guys, Rahab is a liar. That is not what she did. She's lying to her people in Jericho and she's telling them to go. What's going on here? You said, I've already read the story eight times and I know what's going on, but read it for the first time. And you're going, wait a minute, this is not how I would react to this. So, so, so this. so this is what happens. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to the men, don't miss this. I know the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land, they melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. How many of you have trouble remembering what happened on Monday of this week? She just brought up an account that's how old? 40 years ago, she heard that their God rescued them through a sea. And what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. How long ago did that happen? A year ago, she's heard of these things. You see, when you're in her occupation along the wall, you hear stuff. People talk when they're under influences and things like that, or when they're doing things they shouldn't, and they think what goes on in Rahab's house stays in Rahab's house, but she's been recording this. And as soon as we heard of it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens and above and on earth beneath. Rahab, you just gave the Israelite men, the spies, secret information about the state of affairs inside Jericho. You just told them everybody is scared of you. Rahab is a traitor. She's a prostitute in the eyes of Jericho. She's a liar and she's a traitor. What, What is going on here? Verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with me and my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Wow. Her family? She cares about her entire family? And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. I love this. They're probably still underneath the stalks while they're saying this. Our life for yours. Sounds good. What's next? What's next? I got to keep reading. Our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, and when the Lord gives us this lamb, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Rahab, you got everybody. She's even bargaining now. I let this gift secret. You save my family and my brothers and my sisters and their families. Rahab is a manipulator. She's manipulating this whole situation out. Verse 15, that she let them down by a robe through the window, for her house was built into the city wall. Don't miss this. So that she lived in the wall. She said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. Rahab even knows how far she sent the men of Jericho and she knows exactly how to get these guys out. She has made an entire scheme. Rahab is a conspirator in the eyes of the people of Jericho. Wow. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with you in respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all of your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into this street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear to you. Rahab turns to them, and she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them on their way, and they departed. And you know what scripture says she did? She went out to that window that she let those spies down, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Rahab. A prostitute, a liar, a traitor, a manipulator, a conspirator, totally betraying the people of Jericho. And this is the story of scripture today? But you see, and this is something we can all learn as New Testament believers. Before you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you are defined by your sin. If you lie, you're a liar. If you steal, you're a thief. You're defined by your sin. And this world will give you labels, This world will give you categories. This world will call you things. But when you come to know Jesus Christ as your savior, you move from being a sinner to a saint. Does that mean you no longer sin? No, it means you've positionally become not defined by your sin, but defined by who called you. And he refers to you as son or daughter because you're his. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But isn't it funny and isn't it interesting that even after you accept Jesus Christ as your savior, the devil seems to still wanna come inside your head sometimes and remind you of what you are in your past. Any good at it? You're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. And I have met people that I have said to them, man, nobody hates you as much as you do. And they sit there and go, yeah. The person, that girl living inside you, young lady, is mean to you. I know. Hey, that guy living inside you, brother, he is, he don't like you. I know, I've been living with him my whole life. Every time I take a step forward for Jesus, he reminds me I did this and I did that, and I feel shame and guilt and discouragement. (laughs) We can't fall into the trap's world of being defined by who we are. After after I've come to Jesus Christ as my savior, if I lie, I'm a son of the great, awesome God who chose me, who lied and needs to ask for forgiveness for that and to confess it and get it right with him and move forward in faith. But I'm not defined by it. Why is this woman with such a horrible past such a terrible reputation, doing deceivious activity, the source of one of the most epic stories in Scripture. Why on earth did God direct everything and everyone and His resources right to this house? Why? I want to. I, I, I want to quick remind ourselves of something real quick here. Here it is: there are no coincidences with God, so why are we all at this end of a prostitute? Did anybody note something when I was reading the scripture that kind of stood out? I put it up on the line on the screen behind me in case she did it. She said to those spies, did you hear it? The Lord, your God, he is God. What? Rahab? You believe in Yahweh? This this Canaanite prostitute living inside a wall believes in Yahweh, the Lord your God. He is God. There are no coincidences with God. Did, 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 is it possible that Joshua thought he was sending two spies on a military mission and Yahweh's going, I'm sorry guys, you're actually going on a missionary mission. We gotta go get my prostitute, my daughter, what? She believes in me and she needs to be rescued because she's living inside the wall and I see her and I'm sending you to her because there's no coincidences with God. How do, you, how do you think? Did you hear some clues? Here's one that this girl was maybe trying to change her life and get out of the circumstances she was in. Scripture said that she hid them in stalks of flax. Stalks of flax were outside the walls of Jericho and they heap them together and they tie them in cords and then they would have ropes on the exterior walls and they would pull them up. And when they got them up into the house, what they would do is they'd take them up on top of the roof okay? And they would lay them on top of the roof. Why? So they would dry out. And when they got really, really dry, they would take the pieces, and it was a very difficult, difficult piece, and they would take time, and they'd rope it together. Have you ever ever seen young people, like teenagers and stuff, they doing these like wristbands and all this stuff, and they're working on them? Every summer, it gets popular for like a month. And, 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 and you're weaving them all together, and it takes tedious, tedious, and they make, make, Rope, And then what would they would do as they would make this rope that, that everybody would need out of these stalks of flax, they would bring them over to another bin that would have dye in it. Now, now this was a tan society at this time, okay? Everything, it was like desert land and Mediterranean. So when they saw color, it was like, oh, okay? And that's why this lady named Lydia got really popular because she dyed what color? Purple, right? And so what Rahab seems to be doing is laying these flaxes down inside of the baskets, right? And dyeing them red. (laughs) And once they would dry out and die out, they would become red and she'd pull this out, right? And, And oh, oh. And they would do all sorts of things with them. They'd tie them, they'd put them belt, and oh, it was attractive. It was sightly. I mean, it was this beautiful red. And this cord, could it symbolize that Rahab was going, I wanna actually have a career and not be a rag doll for the men in the city? I wanna make some of my life. I wanna move forward from my past. And God maybe in his awesome sovereignty put that desire in her. And now all of a sudden she's using that same rope to let down some men who believe in Yahweh. And then she calls down to them, so be it, just as you plan." And she takes that red rope, they said, tie it in the window. She said, done. And she went and tied it and made sure it was visible for when the Israelites would come marching back into Jericho. I can't tell you if you want to come to Christ, act like Rahab for what the Bible describes. It doesn't prescribe all the time. Keep in mind, Rahab did not have Peter's writings and Paul's writings on how to live out the Christian life. And so if anybody says, you gotta lie and do all these things, Rahab did, no, that's not what I'm talking about. But there are some incredible redeeming qualities about Rahab that enabled her to take desperate measures. Let me point out Four. One was her belief in Yahweh's power. Did you hear her say to the spies, I know that the Lord has given you the land. He's coming and it's gonna be bad for anybody who's against the Lord. She believes in God. It's as if she knows about El Gabor, the almighty God, and she believes in his power. She says, she, she says, we have heard how the Lord brought you out of Egypt. So she has hope in Yahweh's deliverance. That's the second one, hope in Yahweh's deliverance. We've heard how the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Don't, don't miss this, don't miss this. Why did they come out of Egypt? What was happening in Egypt to the Israelite people? They were being enslaved and bound, right? Rahab feels that. She says, I heard that Yahweh rescues slaves. He's a God unlike the pagan gods of the Canaanites. He rescues slaves, he's a rescuing God. Do you think Elroy sees me on this wall? Oh, you bet he does, girl. And he's sending a couple guys for you. She has hope. She has hope that Yahweh is a delivering God. Third, she has faith in Yahweh's deity. She says, for the Lord, your God, he is God. What is the name of God that speaks of his deity being God highest over every other God? El-Eleon. She believes in this and she's put her hope and her faith and now her trust in Yahweh's mercy. Please, she says fourthly, deal kindly with my father's house. We see a budding belief, a budding hope, a budding faith and a budding trust. And she went and she tied that scarlet cord to the window. And I believe in a lot of her soul. She said, my past, who needs this today? My past will no longer define my future. I am sick of bringing it up in my prayer life. Um, Sick of introducing myself and telling people what I've done. I have got to move on from this. I have a reputation. I got to change. I got to move forward despite what might take place. I have to no longer let my past define my future. And she tied that scarlet cord to the window. Is it time for you to stop bringing it up? If God has offered you forgiveness, he has separated as far as the east as the west. Oh, there may be circumstances and ramifications for behavior. Make no mistake. But in God's eyes, he wants to move forward. For he redefined you. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation for the child of God. It's time to move forward in faith, hope, belief, and trust, and not let your past to find your future. And, and they departed. The men departed, and this is what Scripture says. And they went into the hills, and they remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Oh, my word. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Didn't Joshua say in three days we're crossing the Jordan and Rahab's having them wait three days? It's almost like God has a specific day where he's going to move them across. It seems like there's no coincidences with God as I'm reading this story. And, and let, let's continue. What does it say? And then, and then the two men returned, and they came from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. Now, I had a couple laughs. Okay, we went there, Joshua. All right, and we didn't really need to go in the city because we just stayed at a prostitute's house. Hold, hold up, what, guys? I mean, she told us everything we needed to hear. Hold, hold up, what, guys? I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, that was conjecture. But look how it finishes. And they said to Joshua truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. How do you guys know that? Oh, because we kind of ran into Rahab and we learned that the walls that we're afraid of are afraid of us. And how much true is that for us? That the walls that we maybe are afraid to knock through are actually afraid of us because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I had a father come up to me and say, I had a very difficult conversation with somebody I love last week because of that sermon. But I said, hey, life's too short and I don't know how many years I got left and we're gonna talk about this. And he said, Chris, it was awesome. I said, who knows? Who knows? Maybe God wanted the chair to start going the other direction. Is it possible that the enemy is scaring you from moving forward because he's afraid you might actually get out of bondage? That's what the wall of bondage didn't do. The wall of bondage makes you feel trapped. And sometimes it takes desperate measures of faith in God, not sin, not desperate measures of sinful activity. But desperate measures of faith in God. There's a story in scripture where Jesus came across the Sea of Galilee. It's funny, I heard a pastor refer to this, and he said, You know, Jesus went across the sea in a boat. Now, you have to sometimes remind everybody that he went in a boat, because sometimes Jesus crossed seas and he didn't use boats, because he's awesome. And when he got to the other side, there was a commotion and he was being asked to go help someone. And as he was going through, it says there was such a crowd that day that they thronged about him. And that word carries the idea. Have you ever been to an airport or you've been in a stadium and there's people all over and you're like bumping in, excuse me, excuse me, you're going through, you're trying to work your way through. That's how thick the crowd was. And Jesus was working his way through the crowd and he was so famous at that time. And one of the main reasons why was because when he would touch people, they would see. When he touched people, leprosy would leave when he touched people they would stand up and run with their mats and people got this idea if we could just touch him maybe maybe I could be made whole And, and scripture says there was this woman and she had a discharge of blood how would you like to make scripture and only be known as the woman with a discharge of blood she had an issue of blood it seemed to be out of control. And scripture says that she had gone to many doctors and some scholars believe that this woman was probably taken advantage of so bad by people who couldn't fix her, but wanted to take her money. And the scripture says she only got worse as she went to go to people. She didn't get better, but Jesus was passing through the throngs and you know what she did? She took desperate measures and she got us going through the crowd. She's working her way towards Jesus. I mean, if she's seen, she's unclean, 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 unclean. For any kind of disease scripture calls that time was used as a judgment from other people to say, oh, God must be upset with her. And so she's crawling through, if you will. And she's trying to get to Jesus because scripture tells us, Mark tells us, if I just touch him, I could be made well and all that pain, and all that shame. Just if she could sneak in and touch him. And the crowd's great, busy, busy, Jesus, busy. And she goes up, she touches him. And something, something you do not want to have happen if you're living with shame and guilt from your past or what people say and think about you, something you do not want to have happen is get pointed out. And Jesus is walking through the crowds. Boom, 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 boom. Hey, who touched me? I gotta think Peter was next to him going, Jesus, really? Because scripture says the disciples said, who touched you? I mean, who touched me? Jesus, like, like everybody touched you. Who touched me? Because he says the power went out. Jesus felt the power go out of him. Who touched me? I bet that crowd stopped. Somebody was like, I kind of bumped into him. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> who touched me? What's going on here? Jesus didn't have to make this a point. It's almost like somebody's getting a teaching lesson. It's like this crowd is about to get an object lesson about treating people as if you're better than them. It's like the crowd's about to get an object lesson on on people who you think are too far gone. It's like somebody was getting an object lesson on that Jesus can heal anybody that comes to him in faith and he stops the crowd. Hey, who touched me? And it says she was trembling. I touched you. Touched you. He leans down. Do you remember what he calls her? Only time in Scripture he refers to someone this way Daughter, your faith has made you well. Woman with a discharge. Prostitute. No, 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 no. Liar. No. Daughter. Faith has made you well. Go forward. And that phrase was always hey, go sin no more. Anybody here today? Do you believe that God can save you? Look at the four things that this woman and Rahab demonstrated. Scripture says God so loved the world, He gave his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that God can save you? Chris, you don't know. I am so corrupt. There's things that have happened to me that you can't even say. Do you believe God can save you? Because I see there whoever believes in him. Hope. She had hope that God can heal her. Do you have hope that God can heal you from your past? The wounds run deep. The wounds run so deep, and they're even still occurring. Jesus answered them, don't you know? I, I didn't come for those who have no need of a physician, but for those who are sick. I've come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'm coming for people who know they need me, not for those people who think they don't. Do you have hope that he can heal you? Do you have the trust that God can love you? But God demonstrates love for us, and while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Not once you arrived, while you were still a sinner. Anybody in here today who think you're a little bit better than somebody else, God called you while you were a sinner. Let that fill you with gratitude, not judgment. But do you trust that God can love you? He doesn't need you to clean up to come to faith. I got to get myself right so I can get you. Don't. How you were a sinner, he died for you. And then faith that God can free you for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. God. And do you know that Rahab's faith is leveraged in Scripture as an illustration of faith and works working together? She had a fear of the Lord, and it led to faith in the Lord. And Hebrews says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And her faith led to works, and James leverages that as an illustration of how faith and works work together. In the Apostle Paul, he teaches how faith and works, he says, faith, he puts faith out in front. He says, if you've got faith, works are going to be there too. Well, James is a little different. He says, if you've got works, it's only because you have faith, but they both work together. But make sure you understand this. Faith is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When faith and works are working together, those works are the fruit of what's happened in the root fear and faith and works for the lord scripture says and in the same way also rahab the prostitute was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out the other way for as the body apart from the spirit is dead so also faith apart from works is dead Did Rahab continue to live a life of freedom? Galatians 5.1 reminds us, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't keep going back to the past. Move forward in your future and watch the change that can make for everyone else. God used Rahab to be a way maker. Scripture tells us that her entire family go on slide, please. was saved at the Battle of Jericho. We find out she married Salmon, the father of Boaz of Rahab, by Rahab, is in Matthew 1, 5. And so Boaz and Ruth, the kinsman redeemer, comes from Rahab and Salmon. She's named in the ancestry line of Jesus Christ. There's a genealogy in the beginning of Matthew where love runs red. All the way through it. And in that genealogy, you got to stop by Rahab in the Davidic line to get to Jesus. And she's listed in the hall of faith in Hebrews next to names like Abraham. Ever hear of them? Rahab. It's as if this is no coincidence. But God was calling his daughter home, to freedom from the slavery and this this difficult life she was living in. I don't know what's going on in the neighborhoods around you. I don't know what's going on in the homes. But if you're here today and feel stuck, I want you to know that El Gabor is mighty over this. El Roy sees you. El Shaddai tenderly loves his kids. And Elielon is the God above all gods. And that God loved the world so much he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. And when you ask him to be your personal savior, you might get upset sometimes with how he works. You might be upset about your lot in the life, but he gets in the car with you And he stays in the car. And sometimes you're frustrated and you're upset and you're even hurt, but he's staying in that car. That father said about seven days into that trip, the floodgates opened up she started talking and people at this and then this is a school and then dad, you always do this. Da, 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 da. He said, it was ugly and it was long and it was loud and there were tears. But after two weeks on that trip, there was some ice cream. There was a dad and daughter that felt restoration. And he shares today that although life was not easy, There was conflict and struggle that continued out of it. He goes back to that time and he said, the Lord used it. He even gave me some grace from my bosses and I got my daughter back. Heavenly Father, we live in a time where maybe we don't hear the gospel as much as we should. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if there's anybody in this room today who feels too, too dirty or too disgusting or things have happened to them, Lord, that are just unspeakable. Lord, we're so, we're so sad about some of the stuff that happens inside the homes of even our own neighborhoods, but there's nobody perfect in this room. And you loved us while we were yet sinners and you sent Jesus for us. And if there's anybody in here today who needs to put out that scarlet cord and say, I need a savior. May they pray this with me? Lord, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you that his blood ran red. And thank you for this red cord in scripture that reminds me, no matter where I've come from, where I'm at, that if I turn and repent of my sin and call you Savior, I can be saved. I need you in the car with me, Lord, for I'm not perfect. Scripture reminds us if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you can be saved. Pray maybe this with me today Jesus, be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for loving me, even when I feel unlovable. Lord, I want you to call me daughter. Lord, I want you to call me dad. Be my savior. I give my life to you. I no longer want my past to define my future. Amen.